Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Watch your back, son. I'm Luke. I'm Captain Captain Jingwei of the USS Voyager. Captain Captain Jingwei of the USS Voyager. Welcome to the Greatest Generation. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed about having a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm feeling 100%. <laughs> I'm feeling 69%. I'm like the guy in the zombie movie that's watched everyone turn into zombies, and I'm like, it's coming for me. I don't know when. I don't know when it's going to happen, but like you and me... And a bunch of friends, we were just out in Palm Springs, having a delightful time. Palm Springs is where it swings. And then people started turning into zombies. And plans started getting canceled. A few years ago, you and I were uh, celebrating the birthday of a dear friend of yours. Dear friend of mine as well, but like Mm -hmm. a long-term dear friend of yours. Sure. Out in Palm Springs. And it was like literally the weekend before the lockdown started. Yeah. When we were all like, so what's the deal? What's about to happen? And I remember shaking elbows at the airport when everyone was leaving (laughs) because we were like, I don't know what the fuck this is. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It was like, it felt insane because it was like a house full of people that had flown from all over the country to be together. Uh-huh. And like drink from the same punch bowl for a weekend right before oh, yeah. <laughs> global pandemic lockdown. Sharing cups and cans throughout. As far as I know, nobody on that trip got sick. Nope. No. Perfect record. We were all out in Palm Springs. You and your wife rented a house. Uh, my wife and I rented a different house. And the way we did it was we had another couple stay with us the first couple nights. And then they had to go back to L.A. and... A separate couple came and spent the next two nights with us. Did you hot bunk that second couple? We we changed the sheets on the bed. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, there was three bedrooms. I don't... You know what? I think they stayed in the other bedroom, come to think of it. Good job by them. Yeah. I wasn't really keeping track of where people were sleeping. I knew where I was sleeping, and that was what was important. Yep. It's all that matters. I've turned into such a dad. I was like routinely going to bed way ahead of everybody on this trip. (laughs) My wife and I have that same thing, and it seems to be Palm Springs specific. It is so hot during the day that we are absolutely spent by like eight or nine (laughs) o'clock. We're like asleep in bed by nine o'clock. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. So out of the people that were there, your wife got sick. Mm Mm-hmm. Then I got sick and two of the people from the first group got sick. And Mm -hmm. all of these people have babies, by the way. So a bunch of babies got sick. Yeah. My baby and my wife uh, seemed unscathed, but now my wife is is down with whatever this is. Yeah, like almost everybody. You you really are one of a handful that have uh, been unscathed, unclaimed. I was the only one uh, not hanging out with babies. (laughs) <laughs> get him away from me and uh look at me doing great uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> on my timeline your wife is the first person that got sick though so. <laughs> it's true yeah that is so bizarre yeah i don't know how it happened i don't know what it is my wife was like you cooked something bad and and you made everybody sick and thanks ben's wife i was like sick in bed while she was leveling this accusation at me 
Yeah. And it took me like half a day to formulate a defense of like, this, it doesn't add up. Like too many people got sick at too many different times for that to even be possible. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't do it. It wasn't food. It's infectious disease. Nobody's fault. You served us salsa and guacamole <laughs> and also a, a blender beverage that we called the, uh, the Funfetti. Yeah. And that blender beverage was, was punchy enough to kill just about any pathogen, I think. Yeah. Nothing sick in those things. No. And I'm the variable. <laughs> I'm doing great. I'm going to live forever. I'm going to live forever. <laughs> you might be like a uh, an asymptomatic carrier. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds right. That's me. Yeah. I'm the asymptomatic yeah. character. <laughs> I'm glad you have enough hit points to do the show today, Ben. I'm relieved about that. Wendy's relieved about that. Everyone involved in Expert Shimoda, relieved about that. Yeah. And on a different note, I'm just happy to be doing pod with you. I've missed this. We, it's been a little over a week since we've recorded anything. Yeah, that doesn't work for me. Too long. Yeah. With that being said, let's get into it, Ben. Let's... Yeah. Talk about one of the great episodes of Star Trek Voyager, right? A truly important episode in the show's development. Yeah. It's season six, episode 10, Pathfinder. Reverse course. Unless you've got something a little bigger in your torpedo tubes. I'm not turning around. <laughs> I'm trying to put myself in the moment in time when this episode dropped. 1 December 1999. Mm -hmm. TNG's been off the air for a while. The Twin Towers. Tower above New York City. <laughs> Reginald Barkley, his apartment is the first thing you see, and then you see him. <laughs> and then you see Troy at the door. And I'm losing my mind at this point. Deanna! <laughs> Hello, Reg. What is happening? Let me help you relax. I'd like that. I knew you would. I thought we were in Harry Kim's San Francisco apartment initially. That's a great thing to bring up because I think so much about how this episode begins feels like I'm put off balance a bit. Yeah. Because everything we know about watching Star Trek seems to suggest that these circumstances and these characters might not be real. Sure. So when we see Barkley and Troy, I'm like, I don't know if this is really happening. And then when Barkley gives Troy ice cream, I'm like, well, this is definitely not happening. Like- <laughs> Who gives a house guest ice cream and then sits with them for hours and hours and gives them no other food or beverages? <laughs> Barkley is a terrible host with a terrible apartment. It's a nice place. Thanks. I mean, he did offer her several other options that she declined. Like, <laughs> she, she has a way. When you talk about friends being long-suffering, Deanna Troy's relationship to Reginald Barkley is the definitive version of that, right? Yeah. He's the Mets, and she, she's a huge fan. <laughs> yeah. His apple only pops up out of the outfield wall when he's on the holodeck, right? <laughs> I like the step-down-into-the-living-room-style apartment. Like, it's way cooler than Barkley is as a place, but he just hasn't unpacked in two years. Two years. Uh, this you you were hurling, right? You had you had dry heaves when this part of the episode came and went, right? 
I am famously a unpack your bags as soon as you get home from any trip, no matter what time it is type of person. And yeah, yeah. two years is a little long for me. Yeah. After a move in. We drove home from Palm Springs. I was like fighting nausea to pack the car. Mm-hmm. So we remain packed <laughs> uh, even though we're home because like I was too sick yesterday and my wife is too sick today. And and like one of us is always either trying to work or trying to watch the baby and the other is always sick in bed. I would consider whatever baby's milk you left in the car to be spoiled at this point. Huh. Okay. Well, I'm going to ask my wife anyways, but if you get to cut the end of the bottle open to let the the chunks through, <laughs> I think Darone's milk is spoiled. Mm. It's like a farmer's cheese texture. <laughs> you know? I bet Darone would love farmer's cheese just as soon as possible. Uh-huh. <laughs> that kid's got daddy's tastes. The boy So the entrepreneur is in orbit, but will be leaving soon. And she's there to check in on Reg Barkley, who has been working on something called the Pathfinder Project, but no longer. Jordy wasn't invited for some reason. I can barely tolerate being in the same room with him, man. The only other TNG character that gets a name check here. Well, Spot the Cat gets a name check here. Yeah, I guess that's true. I hate cats. Data's cat. Spot. I love cats. Imagine being on a shore leave so boring that you managed to tag on a visit to Reginald Barkley at the end. (laughs) Well, nothing happens on Earth, you know? I feel so bad for her. Earth is not an exciting place. Yeah. Yeah. They really take advantage of the fact that Fancy Feast cat food reads on camera exactly the same way as chocolate ice cream. Because mm-hmm. Neelix the cat jumps up on the coffee table and gets involved with what Deanna is eating. And uh, yeah, he has named his cat Neelix because Reginald Barkley has become obsessed, dot, 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 with Voyager. It's a big moment to theme. And all during the theme, I was thinking, how long has this obsession lasted? Lasted long enough for Reginald Barkley to adopt a cat and name it Neelix? At what point in the timeline did that happen? Right. I was obsessed with that. Yeah, was the cat named like Muffin? And then like... That's what I'm thinking. Like the cats lived with Barkley for years, already had a name. And the obsession runs so strongly that that Barkley renamed his own cat. You're Neelix now, he said to the cat one day. And then the cat looks at him, not giving a shit because it doesn't matter to any cat. The cat was like, as long as you keep it coming with the feline supplement 47. Yeah. Don't really care. Yeah. (laughs) After the theme, Barkley begins his story of woe and all Barkley stories of woe begin on the holodeck, don't they? Sure. (laughs) Oh no, Barkley. Yeah. Oh no. Poor Barkley. It's a program set aboard the Voyager, yeah. and he's running around to a bunch of different stations. He's got this idea that they can use the Midas array to make a singularity that takes advantage of something called a Class B itinerant pulsar mm-hmm. to make a mini wormhole that they can send information back and forth to the Voyager. So he's simulating the bridge of the Voyager so that 
he can see if they would be able to pick up whatever this signal is. And he gets caught. Knock on my door! Knock next time! We meet Commander Pete Harkins here, the hero of the episode in my mind. (laughs) Just a guy trying to get some stuff done and wondering why Barkley is not doing any of the work that's actually important to the project. (laughs) Do you sometimes feel like Commander Pete with me? Never. You know what day it is, right, Ben? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, we're supposed to be doing this. And you're like, no, we're not supposed to be doing that. I, I just got the days mixed up. Reg. There is no holodeck equivalent for what's happening with you. Darone is not holodeck. <laughs> Barkley is absolutely assaulting this guy's walk around. Like, imagine working with a guy like Barkley and just trying to very briefly manage him. It's unmanageable. Yeah. It sort of feels like the reverse of a law and order, like stop into the mechanic (laughs) shop and interrogate a guy where like. Like what if the guy who worked on the docks walked into the police station himself with all of his, (laughs) like on a forklift. And and would not leave the cops alone while they're trying to get a bunch of different shit done. (laughs) (laughs) That's it exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so he's got this idea about the tachyons and the array and making this wormhole. And they're like, they're walking past all the all the gadgetry they have at Project Pathfinder. A lot of like greatest hits from a lot of science labs that we've visited in various iterations of Star Trek. Yeah. Just around this lab as props. Yeah, like Tube of Neon. I love Tube of Neon. <laughs> tube of Neon is so fun to see. And they've got two of them in this scene. Yeah, it's amazing. Triples makes it safe. Now, triples is best. Pete just doesn't, you know, put much faith in the idea that Reg's idea is going to work. And he's like, hey, listen, man, like Admiral Paris is coming to inspect what we're doing here tomorrow. You need to, you know, put your nose to the grindstone, hunker down and just like focus on the stuff you've actually been ordered to focus on. And when he is here... I need you to shut the fuck up. I think for a long time, Star Trek has retconned the neurodivergent hero story of Reginald Barkley. Mm-hmm. I mean, in a way that's good, like Idic, etc. But do you think this episode specifically and Star Trek generally does enough to make him competent slash genius? Because I feel like whenever... Barkley saves the day. It's a real like kid at the plate closing his eyes and swinging as hard as he can and somehow <laughs> like hits the home run. Right. Out of luck instead of it being like Barkley's actually competent and skilled, but he just has personality traits that make him difficult for the people around him. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah, he's more of an inspector gadget type than mm-hmm. a you know, whatever. What was the cat's name in Inspector Gadget? Oh, man. That's like a famous cat, right? It was Dr. Claw. Uh Uh-huh. Penelope? No, Penelope was the daughter, right? Penny was the daughter. Mad Cat. (laughs) Mad Cat was the name of the cat? What a terrible name! Mad Cat is Dr. Claw's pet cat and the secondary antagonist in the cartoon series and live action film, <laughs> Inspector Gadget. Secondary antagonist. Mad Cat is also famous for making sort of 
crappy knockoff video game controllers I see here. Damn. <laughs> yeah, well named. <laughs> it was a Mad Cat, the controller in the submarine. <laughs> RSVP Mad Cat. Uh huh. <laughs> of course, it's locked in. What? Listen to me very carefully because I'm only going to say this once. Commander Pete walks out and walks back in like way later. Reg Barkley has been burning the midnight oil at the office and uh, is just still like totally obsessed with this Midas Array tachyon beam pulsar gambit. Mm -hmm. And uh, Pete is like, hey, man, I understand you're really passionate about this, but I think uh, like work-life balance is important. I'd like to introduce you to my sister-in-law. I think I think she'd like you. This is the most fascinating character in the episode to me by far. The woman that Commander Pete thinks would l- really dig Reg Barkley's vibe. My theory is Commander Pete Harkins fucking hates his sister-in-law. <laughs> and probably hates his wife. Do you think so? Because I was like, I was thinking a lot about like, what if you got into a situation with your boss where your boss was sort of in your family, like by marrying into. I mean, Ben, for a time, that was me. Is that what you're saying? Oh, shit. You're right. (laughs) I literally married my boss's daughter. (laughs) And uh, do you still work for that company, Adam? No, I do not. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. So this whole thing, I'm gesturing around the studio, uh, was very, very helpful. (laughs) You married well. How badly does Barkley drop the bag here? Like, this pulsar is ready for his uh, energy beam, Mm. and he just cannot make it happen. I'll I'll try. Later, Barkley's got to walk into the Voyager mess hall on the holodeck to... uh, pour some ice down the front of his uniform. (laughs) And they're here to help commiserate. Things are a little off, though, aren't they? Like the hairstyles, especially. Hairstyles are a little weird. All the Mayquees are still wearing their Mayquees garb. Mayquees? Yeah. But everybody's real friendly, you know? God, they love them, don't they? You know, like, oh, hey, man, like, come play cards with us. Here, let me replicate you a glass of milk. Mm -hmm. You look like you live in Pasadena. <laughs> Computer, one milk, warm. Oh, thanks, Harry. <laughs> You're trying to get on your good side, so you'll go easy on me tonight. Yeah, they really love him. Yeah. You can see why he likes hanging out here. He does this, he says, for inspiration. <sighs> what do you do with a guy like that? Well, I just serve him warm milk and let him be. We're getting a lot of this as uh, like voiceover, which is him explaining all of this to Counselor Troy. Mm -hmm. But one thing that's not in the narration but is on screen is how much his demeanor changes when he's around the Voyager crew. He is confident and capable and in control of his thoughts. They don't run away from him in that way. And that's kind of a an old Barkley chestnut. Like that's very similar to his hollow addiction episode in TNG. Reg Barkley's problem, I think, requires regular medical check-ins that it is very clear are not happening, right? Right. Like, he has fallen off the wagon big time, and no one's there to put him back on. 
It's creepy. Deanna Troy might be the only person in the universe that <laughs> cares about him at all. <laughs> How sad is that? Like, as much as anyone might feel that way on present day Earth, for it to be the <laughs> Star Trek universe, as broad as it is. Yeah. And for that to be the case for him. I mean, Commander Pete is trying to do him a solid, maybe. He is. Yeah, I agree. Unless your theory is right, and Commander Pete actually hates these two women. <laughs> yeah. I'm concerned for Barkley's cat because Barkley spends so little time at home, at his real home. Yeah. He even sleeps in quarters on Voyager. And, like, goes to the EMH in the simulation of Voyager for massages and stuff. Yeah. Is that what this doctor does? Yeah. He does massages? <laughs> Didn't look like a very convincing massage. It's like a TV massage that is light enough not to mess your voice up when you're doing dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a dialogue massage is what he's getting. <laughs> it's good. So the next day is the big presentation to the brass. And uh, Barclay like, checks in with his buddies in Voyager's mess hall on his way to work. And then uh, we cut to Project Pathfinder where we meet Admiral Paris. They're explaining like they have a theory of where Voyager is based on what they know about it from the one visit they got from the EMH all those years ago. I guess they must have factored in a lot of like warp tunnel, <laughs> you know, jumps forward and mm -hmm. various times they got a 10,000 light year boost from a departing being of pure energy or whatever. Yeah, they're shooting for where the puck's expected to be instead of where it is, right? Yeah. And uh, there's three sectors that they think are candidates and they're talking about this and Barkley is like, you know, raising his finger and you know, wanting to interject. And eventually his desire to interject gets the better of him and inserts himself into the conversation. But he he's not capable. He's not confident. He's not holodeck Barkley. He's real world Barkley. And he can't organize his thoughts. He can't pitch this in a way that is coherent. I can't give you high marks for clarity, Lieutenant, but you've certainly got my attention. We know for sure Admiral Paris isn't evil, right? Like so many evil admirals. Yeah, you get a pretty good shot of the neck in profile, and there's nothing sticking out the back there. Yeah, he seems okay. He takes great umbrage with the whole, like, the one thing that Barkley can say with any amount of force is that he knows that there are lives on that ship, and that's why he's so passionate about this project, kind of forgetting who he's talking to. Yeah, he gets in a lot of trouble here because he puts the Admiral in a position of having to say, like, yeah, I'm aware, Lieutenant. And then Commander Pete has to step in and say, like, go home, Reg. You made the Admiral feel really shitty, and now you're on leave. This is an especially bad punishment for Barkley. Like, going home is the worst place for him to be. Yeah, but he finds a loophole in this order because he sort of feels most at home on the holodeck. <laughs> so, right. So that's where he goes. Quite a healthy fantasy life. Wouldn't you say? Mm. When we cut back to, uh, quote unquote, the present, this is where Deanna Troy is asking all the relevant questions about, like, how did it make you feel? And she's doing therapy on him. But Barclay's answers are disappointing at every turn. The holodeck version of Voyager is the only place he wants to be at all times. And when he goes through this 
I mean, it's it's greater than a disappointment. Like this humiliation at this meeting, he goes right back onto that holodeck. Yeah. It was really remarkable to me how much this hang started looking like it was just a social call. And mm-hmm. by the time we cut back here, it really feels like he has turned it into a therapy session without even really checking with her. Like whatever version of busman's holiday it is where like you are taken and put on the bus to drive (laughs) against your will, that's what this is. Yeah, yeah. It's a busman's holiday meets speed is what has happened to Deanna Troy here. The important thing is I'm here now and I want to help. Thank you. What kind of sick fuck is Barkley to have... (laughs) A fantasy that involves leading a McLaughlin group. Issue one. <laughs> Early on, like, it was uh, frilly blouses on swing sets uh-huh. or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Making Wesley eat a lollipop. Pastor Barkley will spank you if you misbehave. Yeah, I would argue this is more depraved. Yeah, this is some sick shit. Yeah. He's using the Voyager crew to talk over his idea for this mini wormhole. And... It sort of seems like he wants them to brainstorm with him, but it's also sort of clear that he already has the answers to all of these questions that he is asking rhetorically. Mm -hmm. And so it's mostly about them being super impressed with his galaxy brain. It's like confirmation bias the program. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, uh, what if these people that I am obsessed with rescuing were also... My yes men. Yeah. Yeah, it seems bad. And it makes you suspect that this, at least it made me think this, it makes you suspect that the plan would never work if you're surrounded by these yes people, right? Yeah. It doesn't uh, instill a ton of confidence, but uh, then he's down in the warp core working on some of the math of it with Chakotay and Blana, and Commander Pete catches him again. Commander Pete's always there to catch you. <laughs> He's also there to catch that ball that they're tossing back and forth. It's so weird. So weird how casual, like the forced casualness of this scene, you know? Yeah. So they delete all the characters and they have a conversation, which kind of a little bit reminded me of Dr. Brahms confronting Jordy with his hologram. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. I think Barkley weirdly handles this better. He does. You know, than uh, the Jordy did. Total bullshit, man. It's just bullshit. Well, uh, I mean, because it's a second time through this hollow ball kicking machine, like, <laughs> he's been caught again. From where I stand, it looks like you've had a relapse. Look, if someone were to, to catch you meditating a second time, right? it would be easier to take than the first time, right? Right. Nothing's as bad as the first time. Catch me once, shame on me. Catch me twice, shame on you. Yeah, that's it exactly. (laughs) And Commander Pete does that thing to try to soften the blow, but actually makes the blow worse, which is like, you know, Reg, this is actually all my fault. It's my fault for letting you fail so utterly. It's my fault for not recognizing that you have a terrible hollow addiction. And this just makes it worse, I think. Yeah. He's like, I don't even want to look at how many hours you've logged in here. That's, you know. 
I mean, it is kind of his fault in that way. He should have known. I think so. Like, that seems like easy information to get if you're Commander Pete Harkins. Yeah. I thought this scene was also just interesting because when Barkley is speaking to people, he has so many different modes and he's like so nervous so much of the time and so incapable of presenting what he's thinking in an organized way. But when he's really like got the fire in his belly in a scene like this, it's no problem for him. Yeah. And I think that's interesting writing and it's an interesting performance by Dwight Schultz who seems to be a totally good guy. <laughs> I've got to get that platinum. Put your platinum where your mouth is. I've, I've got to get that platinum. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com slash scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm, uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen. Because these are very low dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order, plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! 
Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Barkley Band from the project, <laughs> the lab, and the holodeck. What else does he have? He's got nothing. You go back and hang out with Neelix. He's got nowhere to go, and that's why he goes to the lobby of Admiral Paris's office, right? Yeah. And so Admiral Paris's secretary is like, there's this guy out here yeah, doing real Barkley shit, <laughs> kind of creeping me out, <laughs> and everyone else waiting for you. Finally, Admiral Paris is like, it's probably easier to just let him in to explain himself. Yeah. And it's in this scene, we see a file photo of Nicholas Locarno on his desk <laughs> in like reverse with the com badge on the other side. Oh, I didn't notice that. And it's like during a scene of the trial of Red Squad. Wow. <laughs> Why did they do this? It seems like easy enough to Photoshop the com badge in the, uh, into the right spot, right? It seems unforgivable to mirror the com badge. Like this is something you see all the time in like very poor memes or uh, yeah. I don't know, conventions. Yeah, like chat GPT made this image or something. Yeah, yeah, you got to do better than this, I think. But Barkley's got five minutes with Paris, right? Yeah, and he brings kind of that same fire. Like, I got kicked off this project, and I just, I wouldn't be able to live with myself if I didn't tell you that I think that there's a way to get in touch with your son. And, you know, Commander Pete did not look over my revised plan with this pulsar. I hope you will. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think the Admiral is in a tough spot because he's like very conscious of the fact that this is somebody, you know, going outside the chain of command to get to talk to him. So he can't just encourage this, you know? No. Yeah. Because if you do, your lobby is just going to be filled with Barkley types every day and you can't have that. Yeah. That would be no good. No. You're frightening my secretary, Mr. Barkley. I'm looking at this scene on the... I'm scrubbing through it, and there is a moment where it goes to the close-up of Nick Locarno. Yeah. Combat is in the right spot in the close-up. It's so weird. Did they flop the entire shot? Oh, that's interesting. Maybe that's what they did. That's so strange that they would do that, though. Like, based on what? Why would they do... (laughs) Why would they flop the shot? (sighs) I don't know. Anyways. I don't know. I mean, this is the sort of thing you recognize in the edit, right? Like, right. oh shit. We actually started on the other side of the desk when we should have been on this side. Right. Otherwise, the whole sequence doesn't hang together. What are we going to do? I think hair and makeup parted Barkley's hair on the wrong side for this scene. And they're like, there's and no Dwight fucking- And Dwight Schultz refused to, <laughs> to have it redone. <laughs> on the right side, not the left side, only the right. <laughs> 
<laughs> so we're back in the present and it's night now, which suggests a passage of time that is horrifying to me. There, Counselor Troy has sat yeah. all day. With only slightly cat-licked chocolate ice cream to sustain her. One scoop! Now you understand why I need your help. Yes, I do. <sighs> Counselor Troy thinks this is a good development. This whole, like, going into the Admiral's office thing, right? But Barclay's ego has turned it into a loss because he feels dismissed. Yeah, like, what the Admiral said was, I'll look this over or have somebody look this over, and if it seems like it's got merit, I will order them to do it, but... Commander Pete has discretion over who's on his team and who isn't, so that ruling stands. If you're really sensitive to the big city fuck you, though, you see that all around you in your life, right? Like, yeah. anything that is not totally affirmative, anything that's like, cool, I'll give it a look, is a fuck you <laughs> when it's not. So that's why Berkeley is not soothed by Troy trying to be like optimistic about this being a good deal for him. Sometimes a person makes a commitment to feeling bad or being a victim or whatever. And this is Barkley here, right? Mm -hmm. He's unwilling to see any positivity in this. The crew of the Voyager are all he has and there's nothing he can do about that. <laughs> he mentions that he has felt very alone since leaving the Enterprise and his family there, the family that he's made. And I'm struggling to recall the circumstances of him leaving the ship. Do you think that that's important in the context of this moment? Because, like, I don't think I'm missing anything by saying I don't know what those circumstances were. Did he leave to work on Pathfinder? By choice, because that seemed like a fun and good job for him? Or was he forced out? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. That must be covered in one of those novels that I never read. I mean, my point is, the Enterprise is right up there. Uh, he seems to not have a job anymore. Right. I guess the question is whether Mr. Barkley is Enterprise material. They have a holodeck on the Enterprise. <laughs> <laughs> he has not unpacked. Yeah. Like, I think it would be very easy to beam those boxes up. I mean, he could even maybe, like, repair the bullet holes in that one holodeck that Jean-Luc Picard shot up with a Tommy gun. Yeah. I think you got him! I do like Counselor Troy's moment here where Barkley wants her to go to bat for him with Admiral Paris, and that seems like the bridge too far for Troy. She will eat less than one scoop of ice cream. She will spend an entire day of shore leave with him. But she will not vouch for him. <laughs> I can't do that. Why not? Look at yourself. And that is very, very smart. But what she will do is take a leave of absence from her posting on the flagship to personally take responsibility for, like, curing what ails him. This is so hard to accept. This was another one of those moments where I was positive this was a holodeck program inside a holodeck program. <laughs> Yeah. This episode kind of broke my mind for that reason. Because Troy was always underwritten as a character, always treated as a bit of a potted plant, as we've mm -hmm. said many times. Mm -hmm. But like the idea that being an active participant in her career and like doing what she does so well is less important to her than just like 
one guy who claims to be a long-suffering genius not fucking so many hollow characters? Trying to look comfortable examining a potted plant. I mean, lots of people do therapy over Zoom now. I don't think it's a huge leap. (laughs) Back in 1999, to to conceive of a world where that's possible in the 24th century, right? Doesn't seem that hard. Yeah. So Reg is going to Reg, and he breaks into the offices of Project Pathfinder late at night to put his plan into action. And we actually see the, like, the Midas array get activated and... He goes up to a computer and, like, you know, finds the the pulsar and then, like, broadcasts a signal. He's just saying who he is and that he's trying to reach Voyager on a Starfleet emergency frequency. This Midas array, I thought, could have looked like anything. They could have spent very little time on it. I really love how this thing looks. I love watching it function. I love watching it shoot its little beam. Like, yeah. Really cool design to it. Looks great. Yeah. But unfortunately, he's got 17 minutes to wait to know if his plan is going to work. And there's three grids that he needs to to check, you know? Like, there's yeah. three possible parts of the galaxy that the Voyager could be in. Yeah. So once he's started the contact with the first one, he gets caught a third time. Step away from the controls. Pete. I mean, in less than 17 minutes, Commander Pete Harkins is at the door with the security detail. That's a pretty fast response time, right? When the heat's around the corner in less than 17 minutes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I lasted 22 minutes. I think that uh, <laughs> if you're getting caught as often as Reg Barkley is, you got to think about desk placement. You can't have it facing away from the door like this. Absolutely. You know, you got to be able to see Commander Pete coming. Or the reverse might happen. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I love Barkley's cartoonish style of like throwing his keys across the room as a distraction and then running yeah. down the hall to the holodeck. Like, yeah, he like knocks over a pitcher of water on the <laughs> table and runs out the door. <laughs> like there's something remarkably cute about his version of a distraction or an obstacle <laughs> for security being like so benign. Yeah. And yet it still works for him. Yeah. So he goes into the holodeck and like is using Tuvok to run interference for him with the real Starfleet security people that are chasing him. This part is really smart and made me think of that uh, two part episode where Nazi Germany exists on Voyager in the holodeck, right? Yeah. This restaurant will serve as our command post. You know, he's like erecting force fields around them, and Commander Pete is like trying to run interference from the computers out in the laboratory but realizes he's going to need help. This is kind of like a chase sequence that also includes Barkley like reorienting the array and trying to broadcast at the different places while different security people catch him. But like the holodeck safeties are on, so when Bolana Torres tries phasering them, it has no effect. It's great. It's a great sequence. Yeah. I think my favorite part of the whole thing happens on the bridge, though, where I think we really learn how smart Commander Pete Harkins is because 
things come to a head here. Harkins has triggered a warp core breach to the Hollow Voyager <laughs> as a game of chicken with Barkley. Yeah. He does not know that Janeway is, is as willing to destroy the ship as she is at any moment. She's actually thrilled by this. Yeah. Captain to all hands, abandon ship. But Barkley is not. He refuses to whisper. I thought for sure that they were going to get a response from the broadcast, like, you know, in the 10 second countdown mm -hmm. window. Mm -hmm. That's not what happens. He has to shut down the program. It yeah. very much looks like he has failed. And this has been a catastrophic moment in his life and career. You cut from this scene to Voyager actual in a moment that's actually really important. Like, you can't have this cut be confusing. Right. We're, we're in the ass lab now, and we know from what we're seeing and what we're hearing really fast that this is actual Seven of Nine and actual Neelix. And Seven is absolutely clobbering his real Talaxian balls <laughs> about how no amount of singing lessons will ever, ever, ever work for him. I've been practicing. In your case, practice is irrelevant. It's great. He would sound too much like an alley cat, right? There's no way that it's Barclay's program because these characters aren't nice in that same way, right? I think that's important. Interestingly, also, I guess Barclay's program would predate Seven being on the ship. You know what? Maybe that's the biggest proof of all. Yeah. So if you were to cut from Hollow Voyager, Barclay version to real Voyager... That scene has to contain Seven for that reason. Yeah. I wonder if they thought about bringing Jennifer Lean back for this episode. That would have been cool. Yeah. They did not. So, yeah, they get this signal. They they get the staticky, you know, Lieutenant Barkley from Starfleet Command to Voyager signal. And, you know, they try to clean it up. It's a moment that we've seen many times before, like many evil nebulas or similar have tried to spoof this kind of signal to them, but uh, they know that there's a micro wormhole out there and that it's decaying, so they don't have much time to try to get a response in. There's coffee in that signal processor. So they get to work on it, and we cut back to Earth where Barkley is being like perp-walked out of the holodeck and... Admiral Paris shows up like late at night, which is kind of weird. Like who knows what hour of the day this is, but it seems like it's really late. And he's like, just here to be like, hey, I read this iPad that he gave me at my office and I think it's a cool idea. You know, me and Barkley are the same, really. We both like to stay at work very late, <laughs> working on our obsessions. This is great. Saved by the bell for mm -hmm. Barkley because they receive a transmission. Voyager. To Commander Pete's credit, he completely drops everything that he had against Barkley. Like, he is not being a dick about it. He's not being a sore loser about it. He has no pride in this moment. He's like, Barkley, you did it. Like, take the phone call. You should be the one to answer. Give it up for a manager who changes their mind, for sure. Yeah. This is... A great moment. Like, I got goosebumps watching this moment. I love how urgently both sides treat 
how little time they have. Like, good for Janeway to, like, use the moment to do, like, file transfer shit. But, man, at the end, when there's, like, they're trying to fit it all in, everything you want to say, everything you've wanted to say for this many years, and then for it to end abruptly, like, in the middle, it's heartbreaking. Yeah, I mean, like, there's a little moment of catharsis for Tom Paris, who, you know, gets to hear from his father, who, you know, we have always known to be a tough man to be the son of. I love the the tough dad quality to the, like, very officially talking to Janeway and Janeway only about, like, um, uh, please transmit very officially that... Uh, uh, compliments to my son for steering the ship and so forth. Like, could not be any less dad-like in this moment, right? Please um, ensure that he remembers which side of his uniform to put the combat on <laughs> if you speak to him. You know, I haven't seen him in so long. I kind of remember where he liked to wear the combat. <laughs> You should see my hollow programs of Voyager in town, Paris. Those com badges are everywhere. <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> Anyways, I uh, hope he hasn't been demoted or anything, because that would really crush me. While I do have major questions about where the com badge is located, I've never questioned for a moment how many and where the pips are on my son. <laughs> That would just break my heart at this distance, knowing anything had happened to those pips. We uh, get a little toast in the mess hall. The EMH has looked into who Reginald Barkley is and is like, (laughs) I have some kind of awkward news for everybody. And awkward is the operative word. You know, it's weird. More of his file was like redacted than is actually legible. In there. <laughs> but they toast him anyway. He's the newest crew member honorary mm-hmm. of the Starship Voyager. Barkley and Troy have a toast of their own, right? Yeah. Troy's going to be hammered on an empty stomach. Or oh. maybe it's just sickened by a stomach of a half a scoop of chocolate ice cream topped with an entire glass of champagne. I'm just doing the math here. So she came over and at some point he left to go break into... The offices <laughs> of Project Pathfinder right. and is now back. He left her there to do this. Why did she let him do that? I hope she replicated herself some dinner while he was gone, you know? If you could just watch my cat for a couple <laughs> hours, I have an errand to run. Does she live at his apartment now? Like, while she's on her leave of absence, is she crashing with Barkley? I don't think that's good for doctor-patient relations at all. No, that seems bad. Yeah. (laughs) Life begins to look a lot better at this point for Barkley, including the opportunity to uh, get with Commander Pete Harkins' sister-in-law. Yeah. What? That's on the table again. How is that on the table? (laughs) That was off the table. You can't take something (laughs) off the table and put it back on. Looks like Pete Harkin's sister-in-law is back on the menu, boys. And the reason is she loves cats? Yeah. Pretty flimsy. She loves cats, but we don't know if she loves weirdos. (laughs) 
I think that's what you got to know. Yeah. Hey, Adam, did you like this episode? You know, I'm really easy to get along with most of the time. But I don't like bullets. I don't like friends. And I don't like you. I think you reached in there with like an ice pick and popped the balloon of the logic of this episode when you were like, did Barkley leave Troy to go (laughs) do the break-in? Because it's either that or Reginald Barkley is an astounding storyteller. Like (laughs) to think that the entire story happened as it did up until the end. Yeah. If he did not leave her, he kind of the prestiged her at the end, right? Yeah, he really did. You want to be fooled. I'm not in crisis as much as you thought I might be. And if that's the case, Barkley missed his calling. He shouldn't be a scientist anymore. He should be a performer because it's amazing. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the thing I liked the most was the Barkley and Troy, you know, coming back for an episode of TV. That was a delight. I mean, you miss your TNG characters, at least I do. And uh, it must have been a huge thing at this moment in time in Voyager to have them come back in cameo. That's big fun. So yeah, I mean, flaws in the episode... Barkley, not my favorite character, but I don't know. It felt good to see them again. And I could see through its flaws in order to appreciate that aspect of it. What about you, Ben? I feel much the same. I think that it's it's such an interesting choice to select Barkley to be the person on Earth that is the most obsessed with getting Voyager home safely and... um I don't think I'm spoiling anything to say that this is a storyline that starts here and will, you know, carry through till the end of the series. Oh, interesting. I did not know that. So Barkley returns. Yeah. Barkley becomes kind of a character that returns to the series, you know, from time to time. See, I was going to ask you, like, not knowing that, what I was going to ask was, like, do you think this episode is made better if... It turns out that Deanna Troy is a holodeck character and it's holodeck (laughs) inside holodeck. Like, is Star Trek capable in 1999 of making a riddle inside of a mystery inside of a something else type of episode (laughs) that that is that mind bending that ends with an institutionalized Reginald Barkley, like where, where this is utterly a fantasy where where he was not able to recover from his hollow addiction cuz so many parts of this episode made me question whether or not this was real and i don't think the episode intended for that to be the case yeah i think that that's a little too like bleak irony outer limits style storytelling that's black mirror in me yeah. like projecting onto this but there is something that is deeply sad about the barkley character being still this beset by the things that trouble him. You know, he denies up and down that he is relapsing with his hollow addiction. And I think it's pretty clear in this episode that that's not the case. And Mm -hmm. like, he is a functional addict, but he is still a very sick man. And if I have a core criticism of this episode, it's like, it's a little bit of a betrayal of that Star Trek thing of like, we don't have to suffer chronically from things in a ideal Star Trek future to 
you know, catch up with this guy years and years after we last saw him on TNG and have him be suffering still suffering the same amount, if not more. Yeah. So for, I, I think that, um, setting that aside, it's a episode that I really like. And I think that the, the structure of it is really interesting. The way it kind of makes the Voyager crew sort of the, the B storyline characters that are supporting an A storyline in this moment. Yeah. Certainly not a type of story you can do too often in a series, but toward the middle of season six, yeah. here we are. Got a little weird. Well, Adam, do you want to see if anything gets a little weird in our Priority One inbox today? Oh, always does. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Hey, we got a promotional message on the show today, Adam. All right. Goes like this. Hey, FODs, we're John and Jarrett, two friends who are a little bit embarrassed to own an RPG company. At Dice Dungeons, we make all kinds of fun stuff like dice, coins, and RPG books. So if you want to throw a little supplemental income our way, come check out Dice Dungeons' new Mutated Monsters book for 5e or our huge line of hollow metal dice. Lastly, thank you, Ben and Adam, for all the bits and for filling our days with great pod. You are a continuous source of joy and laughter. So visit DiceDungeons.com and use code SCHISM to get a free mystery dice set with your purchase. And uh, if you're trying to spell SCHISM, that's S-C-H-I-S-M. The website, once again, is DiceDungeons.com. Ben, for your regular Dungeons & Dragons game, do you have personal dice? Do, do all the players have their own dice? <laughs> a lot of the players uh, in my game have gotten birthday presents from our Dungeon Master of their own set of dice. Uh-huh. And I thought I might get my own set for my birthday this year because our game started you know, before my last birthday. Uh-huh. Didn't come. No, no gift. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Yeah. So uh what I was going to ask was like hollow metal dice seem unusual to me as a role playing game dilettante. I am looking at these beautiful dice on dicedungeons.com and I have to say these are unusual in a very cool way. Cool. I definitely am very tempted by some of these. You know what? Buy yourself a birthday present. Ben, <laughs> put it on the company card. <laughs> uh <laughs> Well, I, I do have my own set of dice now, but I uh, routinely forget to bring them to the game. That's the that's the Reg Barkley in me. Oh, you got to keep those in the glove box, man. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, DiceDungeons.com for some really fantastic looking RPG gear. That's great. Yeah, very cool. I'm definitely going to order myself something. There you go. DiceDungeons.com. Ben, our second priority one message is of a personal nature. It's from Mark and it's to Katie and that message goes like this. Katie, if all works out as planned, you've either just turned 40 or are about to. Whoa. And we're maybe in England. <laughs> Whoa. Or maybe just got home. And are maybe about to move our entire lives across the country. Wherever we are, whenever this gets read, I'm happy to be there with you and the boys. Happy birthday and I love you. And you're beautiful. Wow. 
Hey, happy birthday, Katie. Happy birthday, Katie. I think we're actually quite close to the requested date on this one. So good on Mark for, uh, you know, thinking way out ahead of time on booking this one. It feels like I just opened someone else's birthday card and I read what Mark had written to Katie. Like it felt very personal <laughs> yeah, and very good. Very well written by Mark there. Yeah. Man, that's so exciting. It sounds yeah. like Mark and Katie are embarking on a big adventure. Yeah. Moving cross country. Getting a little vacay in right ahead of it. Unclear which across they're going. Like if you were to move from uh, Texas to North Dakota, does that count as cross country? I guess so. Can you cross country that way? You cross country up? Yeah. <laughs> but you're asking. <laughs> Can you? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> don't ask me. I think if you said you were moving cross country and you told your buddies in Texas that's what you were doing, I don't think they'd like that very much. I think that's for Texans and Dakotans to work out. That's not really my place. All right. Yeah, that's fair. I'm staying out of it. Our final P1 today is from Guy English. Hey, Guy. Hey, Guy. And it's to you and me. Goes like this. Congratulations to the newest addition to the Greatest Trek family. I thought I'd get a P1 to put some money in the coffers for the care and feeding of the little fella. What a world full of wonder and delight where a beautiful baby nubbin bug mold can find a forever home with great folks. He's going to consume your brain with love. <laughs> well done, Guy English. <laughs> Little twist ending on that P1. You had me in the first half, Guy English. Yeah. For those who uh, are not picking up what Guy is putting down, we recently acquired the master silicone mold of the nub and bug from the TNG episode Conspiracy. That was something we bought off of a prop maker here in Los Angeles. It wasn't like wildly expensive, but it was a bit of a swing for us. Like a bar tab at Prana Cabana <laughs> at Star Trek Las Vegas. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, something that like when it came across the transom, we were just like, there's no way we like don't get this if we can afford it. So we got yeah. it. And we actually have a really cool plan in the works for that. We are working with a prop house in Atlanta, Georgia, on making a digital file that preserves the 3D mold. So because the, the foam rubber that they mold these things in is, uh, you know, it can decay over time. So we're trying to make sure that there's like an archival level copy of this thing for uh, for time in Miriam. <laughs> so uh, a little financial help from Guy English, greatly appreciated. Yeah, for sure. Thanks a lot, Guy. We'll have more cool stuff to announce uh, about that as we figure it out. Because we, you know, I think I think this is kind of a cool story, and we'll want to like keep the friends of Desoto in the loop as it develops. Absolutely, they made it possible to begin with. Yeah. In conclusion, if you would like to get a Priority One message, whether it is to promote your awesome Dungeons & Dragons gear or wish your special person a happy birthday or welcome the coming of a new member to the Greatest Trek family, you can do that at MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Shimoda. Yeah, I think I'm going to give it to one Reginald Barkley for this episode. I think that uh, this is just one of those episodes where it's sort of about a drunk Shimoda from its premise. And it's mm -hmm. it's really hard for me to get around that and find some like weirdo in the background of a shot to 
point out. So um, he looms so large. He really does, and uh, I was delighted to see this character and to see Troy again. If I have to be specific, I'm going to give it to Reg Barkley for the way he hosts Troy at his apartment in this episode. Wow. Yeah, that's a total mess. That's a great Shimoda. <laughs> I'm going to make mine Admiral Paris. All right. For I'm going to I'm just going to say it. Like I think he does a bit here at the end with his message about Tom Paris, but not to Tom Paris. <laughs> his boy is sitting right there. He could speak directly to him. Yeah. He does not. I don't think you should be doing bits on <laughs> sons stuck in the Delta Quadrant. <laughs> I think that's another rule of greatest gen. Wow. I don't think it's right. So this Shimoda's for you, Admiral Paris. The great Richard Hurd. Yeah. One of the all-time that guys. Absolutely. RSVP. All right, Adam, that does it for this episode. We got another episode coming up, and let me tell you what the description is. It's season six, episode 11, Fairhaven. Janeway's holographic love interest becomes more than just a way to pass the time. Sounds like it's not just Reg Barkley flirting with hollow addiction. What an interesting sequence of episodes. (laughs) Huh. Was there something in Barclay's message about this that maybe we didn't hear? <laughs> yeah, that giant bolus of information about faster than subspace communications. This is Lieutenant Reginald Barclay. Uh, tune your communications to this frequency in order to talk more. And also in the holodeck, you know you can fuck them, right? You can fuck them. <laughs> fuck them anytime. <laughs> It doesn't have to be a clockwork wood model. <laughs> <laughs> it's hot. I'm headed to the game of buttholes. The will of the caretaker, where our runabout is on square 59. Nice. Looks like ahead we have a space butthole that would take us down to a quarks bar or a starship mine that we could potentially hit. That seems to happen to us, doesn't it? Yeah. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. I'm going to go ahead and roll this bell and see what happens. I rolled a two, Adam. Tula! Did I win? Hardly. So we're on square 61, regular episode next week. All right. Those two squares I mentioned still in play. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah. Including one we've never done before. That Starship Mine one. Weird one. Fucking A. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, this has been a ton of fun, buddy. Really has. Glad you were well enough to do it. It's uh, in many ways restorative uh, for me. <laughs> for you and me and all the friends of DeSoto out there. We got to thank all of those friends of DeSoto, especially the ones who go to MaximumFun.org slash join and support the show financially. Huge, huge down year for advertising across the podcast industry. And that has not affected us too terribly because of your support. You know, talking to other people that host podcasts, we are hearing a lot of pain out there right now from people who are trying to make a go of this as a living. And uh, we are filled with gratitude for the people that make it so that advertisers do not need to be the customers of this thing. Yeah, so whether that's uh, monthly support at MaximumFun.org slash join or come on to see us at a live show, 
or hitting up hotshop.biz. It all really helps us continue this great thing that we all love. We got to thank Wendy Pretty, our producer, who keeps everything flowing around here, keeps everything working. You know, if we tried to take her off the project, I'm sure she'd break in in the middle of the night and continue to edit the show and broadcast it just in time. Yeah. She's fucking great. Yeah. We are lucky to get to work with her. And we are also lucky to get to work with Bill Tilly, the card daddy, makes our uh, social media hangs as fun as they are. Lucky to get to work with Adam Ragusea, who makes our original theme music. Check out Adam Ragusea show on YouTube and on your podcast app. And with that, we will be back at you next week with another great episode of Star Trek Voyager. An episode of the greatest generation Voyager that doesn't want to be friends anymore. Cool. <laughs> and uh, I just noticed that all of our subscribers from Ireland have unsubscribed. That figures. <laughs> and they all want to fight us. Yeah, and they're also mad that we're going to London and not Ireland. Yeah. Maybe next year. Make it so. Maximum Fun, a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows, supported directly by you.